Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, July 15th, 2022, and welcome to the semi-almost-always-but-not-quite weekly uh, videocast and podcast from the Missouri Funeral Directors and Embalmers Association. Um, I am back from the leadership conference at the National Funeral Directors Association. It was a very good conference. Uh, that's a place where all the execs from all the states, all the presidents and presidents-elect can get together uh, talk about issues that concern uh, the entire nation, see how different states are dealing with it. And I can tell you the number one topic that was talked about was help wanted, people needing funeral directors and embalmers throughout the country. It was put under the uh, category of a workforce development uh, that covers a wide range of issues, but it basically boils down to is how do you find qualified people that you would want to have working for your business uh, in this day and age. And uh, some of the uh, numbers that we got out there were very interesting, uh, but you have to examine them very carefully. If you take a look online, you might see that uh, some schools and school associations and things like that for mortuary schools have put out that there is a record number of people that are have uh, this past year that have entered mortuary schools a record number of people that have entered mortuary schools in the United States, 3,000 new students. But take a look behind those numbers and you see a very disturbing picture. First off, of those 3,000 people that have entered mortuary schools, the, the statistics say that only half of them will graduate. So that leaves you with 1,500. Out of that 1,500, only half of them will pass the national boards the arts and sciences exam and enter the profession. They either they don't pass or they leave it for some other reason. That leaves you with 750. And then the other trend that was highlighted is the fact that the people entering the workforce has changed. They are very interested, your average graduate, in the work-life balance. They are not interested in working 80 hours a week or 60 hours a week every week. They might uh, be okay with working at a surge situation, but they want to have a home life. They want to have friends and family. They want to uh, have a life outside of work. And so that creates a problem for what you might call the traditional owner, the traditional owner of a funeral home that's used to hiring somebody straight out of school that was willing to work 60 to 80 hours a week, at least at the beginning of their career. Well, you can't find those people anymore. They aren't out there. That means if you were used to having a, a person working 80 hours a week, you now have to hire two people to do 40 hours a week. So of that 750 people that uh, graduate mortuary school and pass the test and enter the profession, you have in effect 350 slots of people from what the traditional uh, way of hiring folks works. And that's for the entire country. So can you imagine that there are in effect 350 embalmer slots, traditional slots for the entire country if the numbers hold up the way they have been over the past number of years? And that's a pretty significant uh, uh, look back that they've been able to do with this. So that's a problem. Of course, those are people from graduating from mortuary school. And many states have a requirement that a person has to be both a funeral director and an embalmer. They have one license that covers both funeral directing and embalming. In Missouri, of course, we have two separate licenses. 
And that does give us a little bit more flexibility if you're interested in hiring uh, just a funeral director, somebody who doesn't involved, all they do is the funeral directing part of it. If you're interested in hiring a funeral director, of course, and they don't have to graduate from mortuary school. Uh, so that does open up uh, a little bit more of the pool of people you can draw into. But the problem we have there, of course, is getting them licensed as well. And speaker after speaker, presenter after presenter, commenter, you know, making comments from the floor over and over again, the biggest thing that people talked about was the national board, specifically the arts exam, the practical examination, the arts exam from the conference. To say that uh, people threw the arts exam under the bus understates it. They not only threw the arts exam under the bus, they backed the bus up and ran over it again a couple times. Everyone across the country, it seems, think hates the arts exam, does not think it tests what needed to be tests. And for those that are test graduating from a mortuary school, it doesn't match up with what the curriculum of the mortuary school is. There's a disconnect. The conference has decided these are the things you need to know. The American board and the schools have decided these are the things you need to know. And, and apparently, very rarely do the twain ever meet. So what's going on about this? Well, by my count now, eight states have made the arts examination optional one way or the other. Uh, so you no longer have to take the conference's arts exam to be licensed in their states. Now, states have done it differently how they've gone about that. Some states like Texas are working on their own examination that's going to become up for Texas. Some other states have, have substituted different educational or uh, apprenticeship requirements instead of the arts exam and so forth and so on. But so far, we, it looks like we've got eight states where you can become a funeral director and not have taken the arts exam. And for those states that still have the arts and the sciences exam, for that matter, uh, if, you if you talk to them, they say, well, why do you still have it? They say reciprocity, because we want the people who graduate in our state to be able to go to other states that do require the arts exam. So they've taken it in our state. So they take it out. Oh, well, you've talked to that other state. Well, why do you have it? It's so other states can. It, it, it's a it's a circular thing. It's a chicken and egg. They say, well, we need to, our our students need to take the arts exam uh, in Wisconsin, just to make up a state, so that they can go to Minnesota. And you ask Minnesota, why do you have the arts exam? Well, that's so our people can go to Wisconsin. You know, there is no substantive reason that anybody came up with saying this is why we need to have this exam. The only reason was a procedural thing so that students in this state or licensees in this state can go to another state. So it's kind of ridiculous. So what's going on at a national level is there is there are conversations among the various states about uh, looking at some sort of joint framework to move forward. Um, you can't come up with a model law really on this because we all start from different areas and some states uh, want uh, this kind of requirement, some have this educational requirement, so forth and so on. Uh, as to the reciprocity thing, uh, you know, just talking about it amongst people makes them realize, well, if the only reason we have it is reciprocity and the only reason this other state has it is reciprocity, if we both got rid of it, then we wouldn't have that problem if we do not feel there's a substantive reason to have this test in the first place. Missouri, of course, lowered their reciprocity requirements a number of years ago, not just for funeral directors, but for most of the professions. And 
Because of that, here's a weird thing. A person can come from a state that does not require the arts exam, meet the other requirements, and get a license to practice in Missouri. And they've never passed the arts exam coming from another state, if it's one of these states. A person in Missouri, however, has to pass the arts exam to become a funeral director. Now, is that fair? Somebody from Kentucky, for example, could become a Missouri licensed funeral director and have never passed the arts exam. While somebody from Missouri is not allowed to be a funeral director unless they pass the arts exam. So going forward, what we're going to be doing here at the association is we're going to be get together, uh, talking amongst ourselves, trying to reach out to stakeholders. Uh, soon we'll have a, a state board that is having meetings again. So we're going to want to bring this issue up with them because we do as much as possible. would like to see everybody on the same page. Uh, if we're going to go over to the legislature to change the requirements, and perhaps make the arts exam uh, either optional or have a different track to say, well, if you either take the arts exam and this is how you get licensed, or you do some education and this is how you get licensed, whatever we come up with, it would be best, of course, if as many people as possible were all on the same page. And so that's what we're going to be working on the next several months. And we're interested in hearing what you have to say about that. Let us know what you think. Do you think the arts exam the practical examination that so many people are having trouble passing. Do you think it has any value apart from reciprocity? If you do, let us know. We want to hear those views. Um, if we were able to make the arts exam optional in Missouri, do you think that's a good idea? And uh, it, whether you do or don't, what other options, what other things should go along with that? If it is optional, should there be an expanded uh, period of time to have your apprenticeship? Should you do more than 10 funerals? during your apprenticeship if you're not going to take the arts exam? Should there be some basic education requirements beyond a high school if you're not going to take an arts exam? There's a whole lot of different ranges of options out there and, and we do want to hear from you, the practice, the people who are practicing, the people who are hiring the practitioners. We want to hear what you have to say because we are going to be working on having these get-togethers and meetings and talking about it at the state board and the more information we have the better we can come up with uh, perhaps some ideas that people would support. So that's that with the, the reciprocity, with the arts exam, and with the National Leadership Conference. One other thing that I'm going to throw out there today, which popped up today, and it was a very interesting question, a very good question from one of our members. And I thought a lot of you might hear, want to hear about that situation. It had to do with an emotional support animal. Somebody wanted to bring in an emotional support animal to a visitation and some of the family members did not want them to be able to bring it in. Well, that's an interesting question. Well, let's backtrack first. Let's start off with service animals. A service animal, and they're only dogs now, just dogs are service animals. There are no service monkeys. There are no service cats. It's a service animal. Dogs are the only ones that are recognized by the federal government. Now, different states, California, I think, uh, do recognize some other animals. But as far as the federal government is concerned, uh, dogs are the only service animals. And they must be for a specific disability. And they must have been trained to perform at least one specific task for that person with the disability. And if they meet those requirements, and if it is a real service animal, then you need to let them into the funeral home, period. Okay, it's under the Americans with Disability Act, which applies to you. If you're having a funeral, if you're having a visitation, you must, uh, uh, you know, where everybody can come in, 
you know, it's not a private event in somebody's home or something like that. We're talking about a, a public visitation or funeral that anybody could come in. Then you must let that person in with the service dog. Are you allowed to ask for any questions about that service dog? Two of them. You're only allowed to ask two questions. First off, is this a service dog designed to help a person with a disability? And secondly, you're allowed to ask, what specific task has this dog been trained to do? You can't ask for any documentation. You can't ask what that person's specific disability is. You can't ask for their doctor's name or anything like that. Uh, you can ask those two questions if you want. And if those are yes, it is, and it's the, the dog has is, is, uh, been trained to do this, you must let the dog in. Now, it is the responsibility of the person with that service dog to keep it under control. It must be on a leash or a harness at all times, and it must be under control. If it is causing a disruption, like barking during a funeral, if the, if the person cannot control it and stop it, it is appropriate. You can ask the person, tell the person the dog uh, needs to leave uh, your premises because they are causing a disruption. The fact that somebody's allergic to dogs, though, or scared of dogs, sorry, that is not a good enough reason to keep out the service animal. That is a service animal. Now, emotional support animal is different. It's not there for a specific disability. It's not been trained to do something specific, but just having the animal with that person comforts that person, helps that person. And, and we know for a fact that that's a very real thing. We have had programs at our conventions about dogs and grieving people and uh, bringing in animals to help people get over grief and uh, many other kinds of emotional uh, issues. Uh, an animal probably can be a very big help to a lot of people. That's a real thing. But they are not service animals and they are not covered by the Americans with Disability Act. So you are not required, required by federal law to allow in an emotional support animal. Landlords, that's a little different with landlords. Uh, landlords, uh, if you're renting a house or renting an apartment or even a hotel room, you do have to allow in an emotional support animal if they have what's known as an emotional support animal, an ESA letter, an ESA letter. An ESA letter is a letter from the doctor that identifies the doctor, puts the doctor's contact information on it, has the doctor's license number on it, and specifically says that uh, this particular animal is an emotional support animal for this person, and that letter has to be no more than one year old. If that ESA letter meets all those requirements and you're a landlord, uh, you can't exclude the emotional support animal. But airlines, bus lines, anything like that, they no longer uh, uh, recognize emotional support animals. There was in fact a case, you can't make this stuff up, where a woman had what she said was an emotional support ostrich, an emotional support ostrich. And she wanted to be able to take it on the airplane to sit next to her on the flight. Uh, no, yeah, that's that's airlines are not required to do that. And, and you're not required to allow them in, but just be under the ADA Act. Uh, and But there's more than just what's required. Because in this day and age, you know, people get upset and when they get upset, they don't just complain to you. They're going to complain on Facebook. They're going to complain on Twitter. They're going to complain on TikTok. They're going to make a big deal about about this. And you could wind up looking very, very bad 
if you have a person who really does uh, depend on this emotional support uh, cat and uh, want to bring it in to the uh, visitation or funeral and you exclude them and they have a nervous breakdown because of it or something like that and get on Facebook. So what should you do if you're uh, faced with an emotional support animal uh, at a visitation or a funeral? Well, first thing is talk with the family. Of course, see if the family's okay with it. This might be Aunt Mildred, and everybody knows that Aunt Mildred cannot go anywhere without the cat. Okay, if the family's okay with it, then it uh, might be a, a wise idea to let the uh, person with the emotional support animal in. If you have a questionable situation, you might ask, do you have an ESA letter? Do you have a letter, an ESA letter? Like they have to have, they have, to have that letter for their landlord, do you have an ESA letter for this animal? Um, and at least you know that they really do have an emotional support animal. It is illegal for a person to claim that they need a service dog or an emotional support animal when they really don't. How you're going to prove that, I don't know. Uh, but that is a criminal offense in Missouri that was passed several years ago. And lastly, churches are not uh, bound by this. Churches, mocks, mosques, synagogues. They are not bound by this rule if they want to keep out uh, the dog or the cat or anything like that. They, the ADA Act, these provisions of those acts uh, do not apply to them so they can get away with not doing that if they want to. So it, it's unfortunately, even though you may not be required to allow the animal in, it might be the more business uh, savvy, the public relations savvy, the uh, emotionally, politically, sociologically correct position to uh, see if the family's okay with it and let it in. Same rules apply though, of course, that animal must be under control, should be under control at all times. And if it's causing any kind of disruption, there's uh, certainly nothing wrong with you asking them to leave in that case, since you really didn't have to have them in there first place. Well, that's where we are with uh, today's uh, uh, podcast and video cast. Uh, stay tuned for more on looking at the arts exam. Uh, again, no decisions have been made yet as to what anybody is or is not supporting, but the groundswell across the country is to somehow, some way, either come up with an alternative examination like Texas has or making it optional like many states have so that we can get more people in the profession. And given that it doesn't, I, there was not a single person that we met this last week that believes that the arts examination uh, is important to make sure that qualified people get in the profession. Not a single person said that. Uh, the only people who said that their state really still supports the arts examination, and again, they were supporting it for reciprocity issues uh, to get it into another state, which like we said, was circular. So um, it doesn't, apparently it, uh, no one feels it really protects the profession, that it really teaches anything or makes you learn things that you need to know. So why do we have it? At the same time, we don't want to give anyone an opening to try to say, well, let's get rid of licenses completely. If you don't need this arts examination, perhaps people shouldn't be licensed at all. That's the most I know of our members uh, don't support that. So you, we do have to be a little bit careful with what it is we propose. So uh, we want to be careful and want to get your input. So please do that. And until next week, stay safe.